No need to whine and shiny balloons up. Have some wine and join us on the Whiny Palooza podcast with Rebecca Green. Welcome to the Whiny Palooza podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Green. I'm a wife, mother of three, and licensed clinical social worker. I also have three fur babies at home, too. My passion has always been to help children and their families. I always dreamed of being a wife and a mother. Parents are always learning through their struggles, failures, and successes and joys. I am no stranger to this wild ride of parenting, and I know behind every great parent lies a team of supportive friends and family. I want to be part of your support system. I want you to know that you are not alone. We are in this parenting world together. Join me every week for insightful discussions with experts on parenting and marriage, as well as other parents who have found the secret to successes in parenthood. You'll learn tips and tricks to make life with your family better than ever. I hope you will follow along with me while we dive into what it takes to achieve a happy family. Hello, everyone. This is Rebecca Green for the Whiny Blues, a podcast, and I am so very excited to have Dr. Dana McNeil with us today. Thank you so much for being here. Of course, I wouldn't miss it. You're delightful. This is oh my goodness. I feel the same way. I was just admiring. If you're listening, you're not going to see this, but um, Dr. Dana is in a beautiful pink room that I was just fawning over because I'm not allowed to have a pink room. You're going to come visit me and hang out in my pink room. We'll, we'll hang out together. That'd be awesome. And we could do yoga together. Yes. Yes, please. I would love that. Well, let me tell you about this fabulous lady. She is one of a small handful of San Diego-based Gottman Method couples trained therapists who practice an evidence-based style of couples work. She gets to know each couple's strengths and areas of conflict to create individualized treatment goals based on each couple's specific needs. She does specific work with her clients to rebuild trust after an affair, reconnect through addiction recovery, and navigate a relationship affected by mental illness. The average couple waits six years before seeking counseling. They don't have to wait to rediscover friendship, romance, and passion through couples counseling. Clients find her warm, friendly, easy to talk to, accepting, and non-judgmental, and I can totally agree with that already. Uh, She's here to support her clients, help them rediscover their connection, and coach them on communication skills. Specializing in couples work, LGBTQ clients, addiction recovery, and codependency, she provides psychotherapy for couples, families, and individuals. Well, all of that is a big, wonderful, fabulous mouthful. That is amazing. It makes me sound very impressive. Like, who are we talking about? (laughs) Where is she? I'd love to meet her. Let's get her in the pink room. (laughs) We are talking about you. And I can already tell how fabulous you are. Um, I just, you know, we engaged in two seconds. She's so easy to talk to. And I have questions for you. So I'm going to dive in and start start with what inspired you to become a therapist? A couple of things. So being a therapist is a second career for me. 
Uh, my first career, I worked in the insurance world, which is completely different than what I do now. And I specifically worked as something that's called a property damage claims adjuster. Oh, wow. And so when somebody has a toilet overflow or a fire burns down your house or a catastrophe, a tornado blows it down, your insurance company sends someone out like what I did to estimate the damages, to get you back to where you were, right? To help deal with your contractors, give you money. And yes. so- towards the end of my career, I was doing a lot of catastrophe work and I would have like 24 hours notice. And it's like, get yourself across the country and get a car to go to this hurricane. And I would have to go and deal with people that were having trauma, but they were having trauma as a community. Right. And so there wasn't a sense of like, what's happening to me? Why do you keep telling me the same story that a tree fell in your house? I see the tree fell in your house. We don't need to talk about it. Right. Because I didn't understand you need to process your stuff before you can move forward. And so here I was, this little, you know, claims adjuster with my tool bag trying to be of support for these people. Mm-hmm. And I also was having vicarious trauma from not, you know, I also was walking into the eye of the storm with these people. And so I kind of got the therapy bug that I realized. I was really enjoying this part of it. I could leave the corporate world behind, but this was really resonating with me. And simultaneously, I was dating my now husband in a long distance relationship. And I'm like, that's fraught with problems. Let's go ahead and try to be those unicorns and get some therapy in advance. And so I found, I stumbled onto the Gottman method. So Mm. I made a decision. I want to go back to grad school. I want to go on and become a therapist. And I just resonated with couples therapy. So it was kind of like a perfect blend of all of those things. Well, and that is the most interesting story I have ever heard about becoming a therapist. I have never heard that one before. Well, I'm a therapist unicorn, Rebecca. I'm not like all the rest. <laughs> I, you you really are. And that is so fascinating. And I could see that you were already being a therapist for these people and now wanting training to yeah. be able to, you know, feel like you were good at it, which I'm sure you are. Um, you brought up Gottman. For those of you who don't know, John Gottman is an amazing psychologist. I believe he's a psychologist, right? And um, he's all about marriage. He's like the marriage expert. And I am so um, interested that you trained and are certified. Yep. Tell me, certified in the Gottman method. There's about, last time I checked, about 900 internationally who are certified Gottman therapists. So wow. it's, it's kind of a big deal amongst our little pool there. It's, it, it's a, it's a lot, right? There's a lot of training, there's levels, there's mentorships, there's certifications, um, but it was completely worth it. Cause I, I love the method. I believe in it completely. I think it does miracles in relationships. So I'm grateful that I get to be part of that world. Well, and for those of you don't, who don't know, like this is like the marital therapy that we want to provide to people. So um, when you're looking for a marital therapist to have someone like Dr. Dana, who's certified in Gottman's work is just like extra special. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited over here and I want to learn more about this. So tell us what, um, tell us one of your biggest takeaways from training with him? What is something that really resonated with you? Well, I mean, other than we get super excited as therapists that it's an evidence-based type Uh, of therapy, right? Because I think the average person who is seeking out 
some kind of support, has no idea that there's evidence-based and there's not evidence-based. Yes. So what that means for us lay people is this stuff has been put through clinical trials. This is just not me and Rebecca hobnobbing in my pink room, coming up with a, a theory and trying it on our clients, right? That right. Scotman's for over 40 years, what we have found is that couples who use these techniques report their relationship has improved over 86% right? That's astonishing because uh -huh. you're coming in, here I am, this stranger all up in your business, asking you about your personal life, talking about your sex life, how much money do you have, how do you budget, what do you like with your kids? Oh, and by the way, I want you to pay for it, right? <laughs> so I should give you something that when I'm not in your world anymore, it actually has meaning and that you can take it beyond your relationship because the reality is not every couple is going to make it. Right. I mean, that's not right. my place to like make you stay in a relationship. I want you to have the best life possible, but it's an investment in yourself. So if this relationship doesn't work out, you're going to be in another one because you mm -hmm. have them with your parents, with your siblings, with your coworkers, with the person at the grocery store that took your cotton candy grapes you were grabbing for. Right. Yes. Healthy communication is an investment in ourselves and we're not learning it anywhere. And no. so. I was just like, oh my God, this is like science. I'm not science, I'm Dana, right? But yes. I can take my personality, which I have a big one, and yes. take this science, and this is like the perfect marriage where my clients can feel confident that I have their back and that when I choose one of the 50 different tools that I have available, it is about their relationship, not just what every therapy therapist says you should do. Yes. I, I love that it's evidence-based. I find it scary that he says he can tell when he meets a couple, if they're going to make it or not. I don't but like that. You, but when you break it down, the reason he can, and I will validate for all of us yet, that's super scary. I don't ever want to do John, have a check out my, because he created something that we call the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I know you know about that, yes, right? Yes. And so the most dangerous pattern that we can get into as couples is when we're contemptuous with each other. And mm -hmm. what that means is I don't value you anymore. I don't let you have influence in my life. I don't take you into consideration. I talk down to you. I pretend like you don't even exist half the time. That doesn't really take a magic eight ball to figure out that there's a problem in the relationship. And so what yes. we have found is that when contempt is present, it's the biggest sign for us as therapists that there's a problem in the relationship. And if we don't back this thing up and get it under control, yeah, you probably are not going to make it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we all have friends and neighbors and coworkers that are contemptuous with their partners. And you're like, ouch, why are you still in this relationship? And so in my experience, what I've seen happen is one of two things. If you're contemptuous long enough, one, I either shut down, right? I got no space for you. This feels too vulnerable. Let me go into my protective shell and not share with you anymore. Or I turn away and I have an affair. I want to feel valuable. I want to feel special. I want to feel loved and cared for and acknowledged. If that is not happening because we have so much contempt, don't be surprised your relationship doesn't work. That's not brain surgery, right? It's true. It's true. And, you know, you bring up having an affair. And I think what people don't realize is the part... I don't want to make excuses for an affair. I would never want to do that. But I think people don't realize that both parties play a part in the affair, correct? I, you know, you can love your partner and want to spend the rest of your life with them when you're 93, you visualize sitting on a porch together. My, the majority of my clients do not 
have an affair because they don't love their partner anymore. It's because they've lost a part of themselves, right? I miss that part of me that felt interesting and sexy and like I had something valuable to say and I was alive. And this other person represents a part of yourself that you lost. It's mm -hmm. not necessarily that they're so amazing. They're a placeholder for something that you want to re-experience about your life. If yeah. you find yourself wanting to do that and you don't take different actions, that's when we get into trouble, right? Because I'm not turning towards my partner and saying, something's coming up for me. We need to work on this. Something's out of like step. Let's go get some support. It's when you just keep on autopilot with it that we get in the problem. Well, and I didn't mean to skip ahead to number 10. <laughs> I, I'm guessing that it was question number 10. But as we're talking about this, I mean, you can, you can tell me if I'm correct, but it usually does not end in a divorce. And the reason why I'm saying this is because how can they start to rebuild the trust mm. after an affair? What can they do? If I'm the betrayed person, I need to feel that you understand at a core level what it's like for me to experience that pain. I have to experience you experiencing my pain to a depth that if I ever thought about hurting you again, I'd rather cut off my arm because I don't ever want to put you in a place where you experience this much pain again. And if there is not a connection where I feel that my partner is resonating with me at that level, I don't feel safe. I don't trust you. I'm not going to let you in for us to work on our trust and our atonement and the repairs that we need to do. It's, it really is that unspeakable something that if you don't have a guttural ache for how much pain you have caused me, we are not going to survive this. That was such good advice. I have never really put it, heard it put that way. And you, I think you hit the nail on the head. That is such good advice. And I definitely think couples can get over that hump and move forward. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I see it all the time. And you can actually have a better relationship because the pretenses are gone. The avoiding conversations, the having surface level things, we can't avoid the elephant in the room. And maybe we're having a conversation for the first time in years mm -hmm. about this, you know, chasm that's developed between us, this valley of like non-connection that now we have to deal with. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny that you say that. It's almost like a, it's a symptom of a problem that then can lead to fixing and making a better marriage. It's Absolutely. so true. And, you know, we talked about mistakes couples are making, the contempt, the four horsemen. How can they communicate better? What is some advice to do better communication? One of the things that I uh, like to have my couples learn how to do is a Gottman technique, and it's called using a gentle startup, right? And it's the antidote for when we are feeling like we want to criticize our partner. Because by the way, in case this is like a news alert, <laughs> criticism does not land well with your partner, right? And so I kind of have to think about when I want to criticize, John says that that means that there's an unmet, unmet need. Right. There's something I'm longing for. There's something I worry about. There's something that if this doesn't happen, I'm not going to feel valued and respected. And so I already anticipate that you're going to say no or let me down or I have some kind of story going on in my head. And so I'm already at criticism. My partner's like, where did that come from? I didn't even get to participate here. Right. <laughs> 
And so if we can get into the habit of doing something that we call using a gentle startup, we have a better opportunity of having good communication. So here's what it kind of looks like. Number one, when I want to criticize you, I have to think about what is that unmet need? What is that feeling? What is that emotion that's coming up for me as I think about it? Right. And then I want to state it using I statements because that will keep us out of trouble. Right. If I start a sentence yes. with you, Rebecca, you, you're already like flinching at me, like, here it comes. There's a problem. Right. It's true. But if I feel frustrated. I feel left out. I feel shut out. I feel worried. I feel stressed, whatever that emotion is. Then I want you to talk about what is the behavior that you see them doing or what is the words that you heard that created that emotion for you, right? That's leaving the other person out of it. You're already doing well. I feel uncared for. I feel upset. I feel stressed when I see dishes piled up in the sink and the newspapers all over the coffee table right? I didn't come in and say, oh my God, you're such a slob. Don't you ever clean this place up? This is just a shift, right? And I know some of my clients are like, well, that's just semantics. No, it's not. (laughs) It's It's important. technique, right? So I feel stressed. I feel frustrated. Talk about the behavior. Then you got to do something different because that's, that's just venting. I don't know what you're asking of me to do as your partner. I have all these weird expectations that you can read my mind and know what I want you to do. Yes. Then I'm going to say, it would mean a lot to me, Rebecca, if when I texted you that I'm on the way home from work, that you would put the dishes in the dishwasher and take the newspapers out to the recycling bin. Then I have to realize this is a question and a request, not a demand of my partner. I am not required to do anything for you by virtue of the fact that we're in a relationship together. Anything I do for you is a gift, which makes all of my clients roll their eyes and shoot daggers at me, right? We're in a relationship. We're supposed to do things for each other. No, you don't. Every day I'm making a cognizant gift to you to do that thing for you. So I want to give you a sales you know, technique of how to get your partner to want to do it. So it would mean a lot to me if you would take out the trash for me because it would feel like you understood that when I come home from work, I'm stressed out, I'm tired, and I just want to relax. Then I have to say, is that something you're willing to do? Because if I just bark it out at you and be like, hey, I need you to put the trash out there before I come home, okay? All right, good. (laughs) Because that's how we talk to our partners, right? So then you soften it up a little bit. So here's what it would sound like. Rebecca, I feel stressed and overwhelmed when I come home from work and there's dishes in the sink and there's newspapers on the coffee table. It would mean a lot to me. It would feel like you really loved me and got what my life is like if you could put them away when I texted you that I'm coming home from work. Is that something you're willing to do, sweetheart? Right? Great. I have all the options in the world. I get to say 100%, honey, I'll do that right away. Or no, sorry, I'm going to be on a Zoom call until nine o'clock at night with somebody in China and I don't have time. Right. But guess what? When I get off that call, I will work on it with you so we can have a nice evening. You've set the tone for there to be compromise by not being demanding, not making your partner feel defensive and giving them options. That is such an extremely awesome mouthful. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I can ramble about this. No, stuff I apologize. Uh, you know what? This is my language. This is my, I told you this is my favorite topic. I could definitely talk to you all day. I am laughing 
at us actually going through this specifically because I'm thinking about how we talk to our friends Mm. and I'm like, why? This is where I get back to all the time. Why are we so kind to our friends and then come home to our most important person Mm -hmm. and bark at them? And I, and I'm guilty. I mean, I'm guilty as charged. I'm, I mean, he's, you know, the most important person to me and he doesn't always feel that way because of how I communicate. Mm -hmm. Cause we, we feel safe with our partners. We feel Like we can take that mask off that we wear with the outside world and hang it at the doorstep next to our mask and just come home and like, let it loose. Right. And then we put the mask back on and we go out into the world and we're very kind to the cashier at the grocery store, but we don't give that to our partner. It's true. And I have often said, just treat me like your girlfriend. Oh, nice. I like that. I'm like, I want to be the girlfriend. Perfect. When I tell him that I feel unimportant, because he's not doing something. And I realize that the underlying feeling is me not feeling important. His jaw drops to the floor because I'm his most important person. And he can't even fathom that I would ever feel unimportant to him. Mm -hmm. So we don't realize how each other's feeling if we don't communicate about it. Right, right. And it's such little tweaks. I mean, we can all do it. I mean, those are little tweaks that make such a huge difference. Yeah. And a lot of my clients are astonished at that because a lot of us talk in very general terms to our partner. Well, can you just act like you love me? (laughs) I will say to my clients, whoa, stop, back it up. That is such an umbrella term that I am screwed if I say, uh, I don't understand, right? Because I don't understand. What does that look like to you? Give me some specifics. Educate your partner and I when we're in session. When you say, act like you love me, does that mean you hold open the door for me when we go to, you know, out on a date? Does that mean you give me a hug in the morning? Does that mean you bring me a cup of coffee? What does that look like in your world? Give me some specific behaviors that I can do, and then I will consider whether or not that's something I can do. But we get in our heads that like, I shouldn't have to tell you. And it's like, why? Why shouldn't you have to tell me? What's the pain in telling me exactly what you want so that I can get it right and be your hero? Yes. I mean, I get the line, just tell me what you want. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And it looks very different because he will tell me that he does not care if I do the dishes that does not make him feel loved. Whereas if he does the dishes, I feel so important and loved. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, you know, he wants a hug Mm -hmm. and I want him to do the dishes. So that's your love languages. You're an acts of service and he's a physical touch person. Absolutely. Okay. For sure. And he wants to hear it. And, and I don't need it as much as him, but I have to see, we have to remember obviously what each other needs because I have to remember that he wants to hear it. Mm -hmm. So we're all, we're all learning in our marriages, right? Yes, because we speak to each other in our own love language and yes. we never stop to consider like, okay, because I am an acts of service person too. And I'm like, I put the dishes away. I did the laundry. I went grocery shopping. I'm like waiting for my gift. And he's like, where's the kiss? How about some sex? Like, you yes, know, yes. like, and I'm like, but I did all these chores. <laughs> I know there's we're all so different from each other it's so true I'm glad he spelled that out for me though I needed to hear that he doesn't care if I do the dishes hey you got a free pass go take that one and run <laughs> so, 
okay, so let's move to addiction because so many people battling addiction, getting over addiction. How can we support our spouses through that and still stay together? How can we help with that? I think that if I'm the partner of somebody that's working through an addiction, I have to decide to partner up with them. It's like the old model of addiction is I point at you and I'm like, look what you're doing to me. You're choosing your substance over me. And they point back at me. They're like, you don't even understand what it's like to have an addiction. This isn't a choice. This is like a biological function. And so the method that we sort of approach it with in the Gottman method is we're a team. This addiction is a cancer that's impacted our life. If your partner had cancer, you would do research. You would go with them to all their doctor's appointments. You would take your notebook full of good questions. You would hold their hand at their chemotherapy session. We would partner up because this is a thing that has attacked our relationship versus us battling against each other right? So how can I be more supportive knowing that it's not necessarily my journey? I can't demand to know what's going on with your recovery. What did you learn today? Did you go to a meeting, right? (laughs) That's to deal with my anxiety about not knowing what to do versus, hey, I really want to know how to support you. What have you learned about your triggers? What have you figured out are some coping skills for you? Would it be helpful if I know that going for a walk is your coping skill when you get triggered by talking to your mom on the phone? How would it feel if I sent something's going on with you and I say, hey, babe, how about we go on a walk, right? Me showing you support without attacking you or trying to point out you're, you're caught up in your addiction again. Go sort that. Mm, that is amazing. That is such a better way to look at it. And it sounds like that would apply to a mental illness also. Absolutely, right? You don't have a mental illness and exist in a bubble. If I have depression or anxiety, everybody gets a little piece of me, right? I don't have a Teflon shield that protects my family. And if I don't understand it, which unfortunately a lot of partners who don't suffer from a mental health issue do not know how to relate to their partners. And so they have no idea what to give support and because they're not having conversations about what support looks like. Yes, yes, 100%. And they don't even know to ask that, which is also interesting because they don't know what questions to ask to be helpful. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Oh, I love all of that. Uh, Let's move to codependency because that's another big issue in relationships. So how can we help people move from being codependent to more independent? Well, we have to learn what a healthy boundary is. And a lot Mm -hmm. of my clients look at me like, what? But I... We don't have to get our partner to be on board with our boundary. They don't have to accept it. They don't Mm. have to understand it. They don't have to agree with it. And we don't have to talk them into it. And that is the hardest thing for couples because we think that if we love them, we don't want to cause them any distress. Okay, your partner can tolerate distress, believe it or not. That is their internal struggle to deal with. If they are having a problem dealing with the answer, no, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't want to do that. I'm not willing to do that. You cannot simultaneously take care of yourself and take care of somebody else at the same time. Right. And so I have got to be empathetic, have empathy 
and hold a healthy boundary. And that is incredibly difficult for most of my clients to do because it means I'm saying, I don't care about you if I say no. And we have got to get real clear. That doesn't mean I don't care about you if I say no. It means I understand where I end and you begin. And this Mm -hmm. is what makes sense for my life so that I don't do something that's self-destructive for myself. That is really good advice. And, you know, you're making me think about finances because I have had to talk to my husband, Seth, about the fact that he doesn't have to, him loving me does not mean him saying yes, Mm. because he thinks he has to say yes to everything. Mm. So me bringing up whatever I'm bringing up, that's, you know, a financial stress because it's more money to spend. He has to feel okay saying no which we, you know, we have been discussing this, but it's just making me think of that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you're getting some tips, Levy. Good. (laughs) I, you know what? I am going to take so much away from this. And um, my husband's going to be happy that I talked (laughs) to you because I'm going to be a better wife today. His name is Seth. His name is Seth. Seth, this is a shout out for you. Anything that you do for Rebecca is a gift. You're not required to do it because of the fact you're in a relationship and no is okay. There you go. There's your Thanksgiving present, Seth. It's it's a fabulous present because we take things for granted and I've never looked at everything he does for us as a gift. I've never looked at it that way. I love that. Do you have a couple that maybe stands out in your head that was successful that you can tell us about? Oh, that's, I mean, all the couples are successful, even if they don't work out. Oh, because you've come to a place to do it properly, right? If you come to therapy because you want to give respect for the relationship enough to end it in a way that feels like we're doing it with grace and care and respect, that's still a success. It's yes. not a success based on whether or not we're together until we both die. That's not, mm. we're not the same people. We don't always have the same path. We're not on the same journey. And so it doesn't mean we're not at success if something comes to an end. It's just like everything in life. If I stayed at the same job I had when I was 16 making sandwiches at Subway so that I was a success and never like had it come to an end, that's a thinking that gets us trapped and staying in things too long so that we end it when it is ugly and it's not possible for us to have any grace about it. So I don't think I answered your question, but I think that I think it can still be successful even if there's an end to it. I think that's a great way to look at it. And some couples are probably coming to you with help us through this breakup. And some couples are coming to you and saying, help us over this hurdle. So different goals. Absolutely. And some couples, which is an interesting therapist phenomenon, which you may or may not have experienced, we call it like dropping your partner off on the couch right? It's like, I want to be done with this relationship. I think they're going to be really emotional about it. So how would I come in for a couple of sessions? And then I just kind of tiptoe out and leave them with you. I know you'll turn it out for them. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes. That that sounds correct. (laughs) That's a success too. You got them in good hands. Thank you. Oh, it's true. Such a good way. I love the silver linings that you're finding today. (laughs) So tell me, what else do you want to share that I didn't think to ask you? 
Um, I guess one thing I've been thinking about recently is I, I wrote an article for the Gottman blog about gratitude, and I think it's mm. probably very important this time of year to think about gratitude and to think about our holiday traditions and milestones and rituals of connection. Why do we do those things as a family, right? And I think that it's really important to do something that represents either you as a couple or you as a family, because this is the family of choice versus the one that you were born into. And so what do what represents this family that you've carved out? Who are you? What what are your values? What are the symbols of how you recognize important milestones in your life? Because if we don't have those things, every day just feels like a Wednesday, right? And then we're like, oh, but no, this is a holiday. Oh my gosh, it's been a year. It's time to get the matzo ball soup out or whatever is the <laughs> thing that we do. And that creates this amazing connection for us as a family. And it gives us this tribal sense of where we belong. And so if you don't already do that, I encourage you to make some kind of new tradition this holiday season. Well, that is a fabulous, beautiful way to end today. I, I think that's beautiful. And um, we'll think about that tomorrow at Thanksgiving with my family. <laughs> so tell everyone where they can go to find you. Uh, they can find us in a couple of places. So if you want to find me, because I do writings and authorings and speaking, you can go to my website, which is danamcneil.com. If you want to find my practice, if you're in California, we can do video therapy. You can come into my office. I have a group practice. We have nine different clinicians that all practice the Gottman Method. So if you wanted to connect with us, that's SD, short for San Diego, relationshipplace.com. My practice is called The Relationship Place. And then if you wanted to travel like Rebecca from another state, we do offer what's called an intensive weekend. So couples from around the nation can come spend a weekend with one of my therapists and we just work one-on-one -on -one with the couple for the whole weekend. We come up like with a plan for you and exercises and we help you find a place to stay and give you restaurant referrals. So it's like a vacation to work on your relationship because we're in San Diego and everyone wants to visit us here. So that's that amazing. Yeah, that website is therapygetaway.com and maybe you'll have links if somebody wants those. But yeah, so there's, there's a lot of ways to get in touch. You can send me a note and I can hook you up with somebody. That is a really good idea. Thanks. <laughs> and I and before we end, I do want to tell you that I forgot that you are in sunny San Diego. Well I'm freezing over here in Buffalo, <laughs> New York. It's lovely. It'll probably be at least 75 today. So, <laughs> Seth, if you listen to this, we do not live in the right location. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be here. It was delightful. You are a hoot, and anytime you want to hang out, I am happy for it. Wonderful. I, have, I think I have a trip to make. <laughs> This is Rebecca Green reminding everyone to spend every day laughing, learning, and loving. Thank you for tuning in to the Whiny Palooza podcast. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. While you are there, leave a review. I love to hear your feedback. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.